All right, good evening. Welcome to uh, Hope Lower Town again. I know it's hot, and uh, I was sitting in the back going over my PowerPoint trying to figure out what in the world I could cut out of this sermon, and I couldn't find anything, so I apologize. But I will read fast um, on certain parts, and I think we'll, we'll figure it out. Um, so again, thanks for being here. A couple, a couple of other things that uh, we didn't announce, but uh, ladies, you have a Bible study coming up, so if you haven't, uh, if you're not reminded of that, on uh, the 24th of August, that's at our house. Uh, my wife is up in the nursery. Um, so if, if uh, you have questions, just find her and, and you can meet up with her and figure out what you need to read and do all that kind of stuff. It's, uh, they've been doing, going through one of Jen Wilkins' books uh, called Women of the Word. And, uh, and then men, we've got our next men's breakfast coming up on the, it's always going to be the last Friday of the month, if that makes sense. So this is the 31st, is that right? January, February, March, April, May, June, July, uh, 31st, right? You guys know that trick, right? The knuckle trick? Uh, so there's 31 days in August. Um, so it'll be the last day, and we're finding a new place for breakfast. Uh, it was great, it was tasty, but it gets really expensive over there. It's buttered tin, so we'll find something else that'll work. Um, anyways, that's that. So um, let's, let's just dig into this. So we are in week uh, 29 of the book of Exodus, and so excited to um, get, we're getting close to the end. Actually, August 9th uh, will be the, the last day. And uh, I actually have a, a wedding that day up at Camp Lebanon um, in uh, nor- you know, kind of central northern Minnesota. I don't know where it is, actually. It's a couple hours north of here. Um, so our church planter uh, that's going to be launching here pretty soon uh, in February, I think. Uh, I don't remember when he's launching. Next year, early. Uh, he's going to be launching his church. He'll be here uh, filling in. And he's actually been tasked with covering the last five chapters of the book. Um, so it was a good week for me to take off and give him. So uh, anyway, so we're coming up, and then we're going to be starting a new series. I'm going to take a week to just kind of cast vision uh, for us, for Lower Town. It'll be actually the exact one-year anniversary of us uh, starting this space, and so just kind of recasting that. We'll be starting a new uh, sermon series just about the gospel, so I'm excited about about that. So, um, okay, have you ever um, felt like um, you... You've tried everything you possibly can do, uh, do something right, and no matter what you do, it just you can't fix it, right? It just someone's not pleased, or you're not happy, or or whatever it may be. Um, and I was re- I was reminded of the of uh, the childhood book, um, the Berenstein Bears, right? And so they they would if you did you guys read these growing up? I know I sure did, right? And and recently my childhood was was crushed when somebody pointed out that it's actually the Berenstain Bears. Okay, it's not the Berenstein or Bernstein. It's Berenstain. Huh? Did I just ruin your childhood? Because that happened to me. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, okay, so just be educated. And it's actually written by a couple. It's like Joy, John, and someone, Berenstain. It's their last name. So very original for them to name the characters after them themselves. Um, but there was a time, though, where, and it, this is why I mentioned this, because I had a teacher in junior high whose name was Miss Bernstein. Okay, that's, this has nothing to do with anything. I just wanted to tell you it's not Bernstein. Um, and so Miss Bernstein... I was uh, her, her TA for a little while when I was in high school, so I would, like, for my uh, study hall, um, I wouldn't study, I would, like, help her grade papers or put covers on books or whatever, but one thing I was tasked with was putting together bulletin boards for her. Remember the bulletin boards, you know, with the borders, and they would do something in the bulletin board, 
Um, and, and back then, I used to do a lot of drawing. I, I'm not an artist by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I, I mean, I carried around like an art book and used charcoal, and I got into it, but I haven't done it probably since junior high. Um, but she uh, specifically had, had me act, like, do, hey, go do this, make this bulletin board, and I would work on it forever, right? Because I was really meticulous. I wanted it to be just right. And, and then all of a sudden, I would get finished and say, hey, what do you think? And she'd be like, it's, no, I don't like it. It's too busy. It's whatever. You, you, you spelt that wrong. Uh, that happened one time. Um, I, I put the word a lot uh, as one word, you know, a lot as one word. So I, I learned as junior high. And, and we actually use this, right? I, I, this is an overhead projector. Some of you probably have, have never seen one of these before, okay? And this would, you'd, you'd take something and you could print it out on that and you project it on the wall. And so I, I got really detailed one time and it took me forever. I mean, I was back there for, for, for weeks working on this thing, outlining this thing. And as soon as I get done, again, Miss Bernstein is like, no, I don't, I don't like it. And I, and I snapped, right? I was like, you have seen me working on this for weeks. Why didn't you stop me day one, right? Why did you wait until I finished? And I thought, like, maybe there's a life lesson. She's going to say, well, I just wanted to build character. No, no, she just didn't want to, didn't like it, okay? So, so I'm left in the dust and feeling like I can't please you, okay? And now I'm mad at you. And, and I think that's how it can feel sometimes at least living the Christian life and then reading scripture and then looking at God and saying, okay, God, this is what you're expecting of me to do. I can't do it. It's just not good enough. No matter, no matter what I do, it's never good enough, right? And I want to look at how the Israelites may have felt that way and how they fell short and then also how we fall short, but God is good and he sends his son who does do it right and helps us to enable us to do that. So, uh, we are going to be looking at, um, again, week 27 or week 29 of uh, the Gospel According to Moses, Study of Exodus. And we're going to be looking at, just I want to recap last week. I'm not going to read all of what, what Pastor Steve read last week. Um, if you were here last week, um, it was long. Uh, the sound guy even fell asleep, so uh, I won't name names, but it, <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Um, anyways. We talked about the tabernacle last week and went to the detail of what's in there. And so you've got the, the Ark of the Covenant is in there. You've got the, this lamp stand that we're going to show later on as well. You've got table of showbread where there'd be food on there and later on the altar of incense. And, and so all this is, is in that. And I just want to read how God describes this. Uh, not just the making of it, but what he says here. This is the Ark of the Covenant he's talking about. Have them make an Ark of acacia wood. Steve couldn't pronounce that for some reason. Acacia wood, two and a half cubits long. Okay, a cubit is uh, an average man's length from elbow to, to your fingertip. Um, 18 inches is, is on average. And then a span is your, is your, you know, your hand like this. And they, they do that in this chapter. So two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, a cubit and a half high. Overlay with, with pure gold, both inside and out. And make a gold molding around it. Cast four gold rings for it. Okay, so this is the part I want to talk about. Cast four gold rings for it and fasten them to the four feet with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings in the sides of the ark to carry it. All right, God has commanded them right here that when you're going to transport the Ark of the Covenant, it's always going to be carried on poles. And the poles are to remain in the rings of this Ark. They are not to be removed. All right, very clear. 
right? God says, this is what I'm expecting. This is how you're supposed to move this. And later on in the book of Leviticus, which I'm not going to get into, he actually talks about when they take the veil off of the, the, the curtain off of the, in, the, in the middle of the tabernacle, they walk backwards and cover the Ark of the Covenant. You're not even supposed to look at this thing. Nobody saw this thing except the high priest, right? But he was very clear on how it's supposed to happen. And so looking at tonight, the way to holiness, that was last week, I kind of want to look at where, where it's going on now. And so, oops, I didn't listen to a holy God. All right, he makes it very clear. This is how you're to transport the ark. Well, that doesn't happen. And somebody really messes up. And so, uh, backstory here, King David, the Ark of the Covenant has been captured by the Philistines. They get it back, but it's in a different uh, city. And so King David's finally going to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. And it's this big deal. And so David, again, brought together all of the able young men of Israel, 30,000, and he and his men went to Balah in Judah to bring up the, there the Ark of God, which is called by the name, uh, the name of Yahweh Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim of the Ark. Okay, this is where God would dwell, that his, his glory would rest on this. And they set the Ark of God on a new cart. All right, what's happening here? Okay, so God made it very clear this is how you're supposed to transport the ark. Well, what do they do? They build a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, uh, which was on the hill. Uzziah and Ohio, uh, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ohio was walking in front of it and David and all of Israel were celebrating with their might before Yahweh with uh, uh, ca castanets, is that right? Uh, harps, lyres, trembles, sistrums, and cymbals, right? Just loud noises, right? Again, you've got to think Middle East, just hooping and hollering and loud and music, right? This is, this is loud. It's a party, it's a celebration. The ark is coming back, and what happens? And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzziah, the guy that's walking next to it, reached out and took hold of the ark of God, because the oxen stumbled. And Yahweh's anger burned against Uzziah because of his irreverent act, and therefore God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Whoa! Right? That's the holiness of God on display. And he's saying, okay, I told you what to do. Uzziah, this guy, knew better. If you study who he is, he's in the line of the Coathites, and these individuals were the ones responsible for transporting the ark. He was trained. He knew how to do this. It's your, your duty as, as a priest. And he touched it. And God struck him dead. Right? Imagine that, that party really died. Right? Like literally fast. Right? Everyone's cheering and hooping. And all of a sudden, boom. Someone comes face to face with the holiness of God. And they're killed on the spot. All right. This is going to be our passage for tonight. Um, we're going to learn about a couple new things and garments and things for the priest. And so... This is the oil for the lampstand. All right, we looked at the lampstand last week, but even the oil that's in it is significant to God. Command the Israelites to bring your clear oil of pressed olives uh, for the light so that the lamps may be kept burning. All right, nerds like me growing up in the church, right? This is the childhood song. Give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning, burning, burning. Couple of you, all right, all right, all right. Everybody else, you're all weird. We're the, we're the normal few in here. Um, I actually had no idea what, a lot of times when you sing kids' songs as a child, I had no idea what I was singing about, not a clue, but this is what I was singing about. Give me oil in my lamp, give me burning. 
Uh, I don't know why. All right, sorry. I said I was going to skip some things, and now I'm adding things. Verse 21, in the tent of the meeting, outside the curtain that shields the ark, this veil that shields the ark of the covenant uh, law, Aaron and his sons are to keep the lamps burning before Yahweh from evening till morning. This is to be a lasting ordinance among the Israelites for the generations to come. Okay, so what's going on? They're supposed to constantly have oil in this lamp, constantly burning. All right, why would you do that? God doesn't need light. And, and it's not because God needs there to be light in this tent. It's symbolic, right, that he never sleeps. It's, there's, a, there's a symbolism behind this. Uh, we do this today, right? Well, we should. Right? The last person to go to bed at night, they, they should uh, turn all the lights off, right? The last person up to turn the lights off when you go to bed. And, and that it would have, for, for sure, would have happened back then because they've got, only have oil and wicks burning. And so the last person would have, would have snuffed out the light. Not so much, not, not so the case inside of the Ark of the Covenant. That Yahweh says, I never sleep. And so you and your sons and the priests are going to always keep this lamp burning. Always. All right. Uh, and also, I did uh, delete, not delete, I deleted slides, not uh, scripture. <laughs> I, I, so I'm not going to read all of the passage tonight. So if there's some holes that I, I'm going to be skipping, just some of the details, not because they're not important, uh, just because it's 95 degrees in here and I knew that wouldn't go well. So, okay, so this is the, uh, the lamp that would have, they would have had to kept burning a, uh, a menorah um, that Steve looked at last week. Okay, the priestly garments. All right, have Aaron and your brother brought to you from among the Israelites along with his sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithmar, the, those are the two younger brothers, Nadab and Abihu are the older ones, so they may serve me as priests. Make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor. All right, so Moses' brother Aaron is the high priest, and so these would have been Moses' nephews that would have been in that line as a high priest. And he's saying that this, this clothing that he's wearing is supposed to give him dignity and honor, right? Um, obviously, I don't dress that way, right? Uh, no one's like, this dude, that guy, he's in charge, right? That's, that's not how we necessarily wear and conduct, right? So other, other denominations, this is why, right? To say that it's to set them apart, to be different. Well, after Christ, he comes and tears that wall uh, of hostility down between Gentiles and, 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 and Jews, and he tears the veil in half so that we all have direct access to him, that we are all priests, that there's a priesthood of the believer, and so there's no differentiation. I'm not a special human being uh, any more than you are, that we are all childs, uh, ch childs of grace, children of grace. I talk for a living. Um, okay, verse 3, tell all the skilled workers who I am given wisdom in such matters that they are to make garments for Aaron and his consecration so they may serve me as priests. And these are the garments they are to make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a woven tunic, a turban, and a sash, uh, a belt. And they are to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his sons so they may serve me as priests and have them use gold and blue and purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen. All right, the ephod. What is this ephod? Make an ephod of gold and blue and purple and scarlet yarn. All right, this would have kind of looked like a, um, like a, when you cook, uh, you wear an apron. Okay, it would have kind of looked like an apron. Uh, you were the work of skilled hands. It is to have two shoulder pieces that attach to two of its corners so it can be fastened and skillfully woven waistband uh, to be like it, one piece with the ephod uh, made with gold and with blue and purple and scarlet yarn and with finely twisted linen. All right, that's the ephod. 
take two onyx stones and engrave them in the names of the sons of Israel in the order of their birth. All right, so these stones, not gonna read them all, but these stones that the sons of the tribes of Israel are gonna be inlaid and put on the shoulder pieces of this, uh, of this ephod. And then on that ephod, there's gonna be this breast piece, fashion a breast piece for making decisions, all right? Um, I've got a picture here in a little bit. I'll just, I'll go, well, I'll go back to it. Um, so they're going to make it's this, this beautiful piece that's got all these different, uh, different kinds of stones on it, 12 of them, and each one of them is engraved uh, with a, a name or a tribe of Israel that they would have worn, all right? And whenever Aaron enters the holy place, uh, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece of decision as a continuing memorial before Yahweh. Also put the Urim and the Thunim in the breastpiece. All right, I'm going to talk more about what that is. So just keep in mind, of what, what is this Urim and Thunim in the breastpiece so that they may be over Aaron's heart whenever he enters the presence of Yahweh. And thus Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart before Yahweh. Okay, so this would have been kind of what it would have looked like. We're going to get to the, the bottom of that with the pomegranates and the bells and the bottom there in a bit. So it's got this gold thing with all the stones, and it would have been folded in half, okay? So it made kind of like a hand warmer, if you will. And in there were this Urim and Thurim, all right, where they were Thummim, when they would have, these stones, doesn't, they don't really know if it was just two stones. It seems like that from the recording of Scripture. And this would have helped them make decisions, just the casting lots, okay, that, that these stones are going to determine uh, what God's will is for what's going on, okay? So again, we've got, uh, oops, uh, I did it again. I put a semicolon in there so you wouldn't be thinking of um, Britney Spears all night. But uh, is it Britney Spears or is it in uh, sync? Britney Spears. Okay. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm culturally hip. Uh, uh, okay. First Samuel. Okay. What happens? All right. Saul, the king, the first king of Israel. Right. He's he's there with his armies, and something happens. The sin comes back to the camp, and it's and it's found out something wrong is happening. All right. So Saul therefore said, "Come here." all you who are leaders of the army, and let us find out what sin has been committed today. As surely as Yahweh, who rescues Israel lives, lives, uh, even if the guilt lies with my son Jonathan, he must die. Okay, that's, that's what's going on here. Right? You've got the something, someone sins, it's clearly in the camp that, that people are dying, they shouldn't be dying. He says, but not one of them said a word. Saul then said to the Israelites, you stand over there, right? So all the Israelites, you stand over there, and Jonathan and my son, my Jonathan, and my son, we will stand over here. Uh, do what seems best to you, they replied. Then Saul prayed to Yahweh, the God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant today? If the fault is in me or my son Jonathan, respond with the Urim, all right, respond with this stone coming out, right? They'd reach in and grab it. But if the men of Israel are at fault, respond with the Thunim. All right, so they reach into the high priest's pocket, and what do they do? They pull out a stone. Jonathan and Saul were taken by Lot. So the Urim came out, and the men were clear. Okay, whoa, right? So Saul's like, what's going on here? Saul said, cast a lot between me and Jonathan, my son. And Jonathan was taken, all right? Um, I'm, I'm gonna leave you hanging there. I don't really fill in, but Jonathan doesn't end up being killed. They forgive him, uh, but he confesses his sin. He ate some honey. Uh, he, and, and God said, you're not allowed to eat, eat honey, okay? So we're not gonna get into all that, but that's the, the background story of what happens there, okay? Other priestly garments, what's going on? Make a robe of the ephod entirely of blue cloth 
and with an opening for the head in its center. And there shall be woven edge like a collar around this opening so that it will not tear. Make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn around the hem of the robe with gold bells between them. The gold bells of the pomegranates are to alternate around the hem of the robe. Aaron must wear it uh, when he ministers. And the sound of the bells will be heard. And when he enters the holy place before Yahweh, and when he comes out, why? So that he will not die. <laughs> okay, you're going to put bells and pomegranates around the hem of his, of his robe so that he won't die, okay? It's, it's a holy God, and it is a terrifying thing to come face to face with a holy God. What in the world is going on here again, right? So you got these bells and the pomegranates along the bottom here. Um, there was uh, some, I don't know what you'd call it, but a, um, a not true story, a, a lie, but I want to give people the benefit of the doubt, that they would tie a rope around a priest's ankle when he would go into the Holy of Holies, and so if they collapsed and the bells stopped jingling, they could drag his dead body up. I couldn't find that anywhere. Uh, I found it on some like random like websites that I didn't trust, uh, but nowhere in the uh, extra-biblical writings and teachings was that a thing. All right, and, and what we find from this passage, that these bells are just the same way. God doesn't need to be warned that someone's coming in. All right? He knows exactly what's happening. All right? But the whole principle is you better not come in unannounced. And that's the whole idea of these bells behind it, as, as far as I could find in my research this week. All right, so that's, that's that. Okay, moving on. Make linen undergarments as a covering. Oh, this is kind of, God invents uh, boxer briefs, uh, in case you were wondering. Uh, make linen undergarments as a covering for the body, uh, reaching from the waist to the thigh. Aaron and his sons must wear them whenever they enter the tent of meeting or approach the altar and minister to the holy place. They do not incur guilt and die. <laughs> All right, so wear underwear or I will kill you. Uh, this is to be a lasting ordinance for Aaron and his descendants, okay? Uh, and again, just going back, because before, uh, when, when God instructed him on, on the temple how to make an altar, he said, don't put any stairs on it unless your, your privates are exposed, right? So God says, no more of that. I want you to build stairs, but in order to do that, you gotta put something on underneath that rope, okay? That's what God does, okay? Just kind of interesting. Not, uh, not uh, tidy whities okay? And that's not what he says. Hip, thigh, okay? Just throwing that out there. All right. Consecration of the priests. This is what you are to do to consecrate them. So they may serve me as priests. Take a young bull and two rams without defect, and from the finest wheat flour make round loaves without yeast, thick loaves without yeast, and with olive oil mixed in. And with thin loaves without yeast and brushed with olive oil, put them in the basket and present them along with the bull and the two rams. And bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them in the water. Take the garments and, the, and dress Aaron with the tunic and the robe of the ephod and the ephod itself and the breastpiece. Fasten the ephod on him by its skillfully woven waistband and put the turban on his head and attach the sacred emblem to the turban. All right, so lots going on here. He says, take the anointing oil, anoint him by pouring it on his head and bring his sons and dress them in tunics and fasten caps on them. Then tie sashes on Aaron and his sons. And the priesthood is theirs by a lasting ordinance, okay? So Aaron was the high priest, and it was supposed to go on through his line, all right? Nadab and Abihu, which we're gonna talk about again. All right, do for Aaron and his sons everything I have commanded you, taking seven days to ordain them, okay? This is, should scream creation, all right? It's the undoing of the curse, right? The fact that God is providing a way of sacrifice, 
Right? He's saying we're, we're going back and they're gonna, they're gonna be consecrated for seven days. Sacrifice a bull each day as a sin offering to make atonement. Purify the altar by making atonement for it, for it and anoint it to consecrate it. And for seven days, make atonement uh, for the altar and consecrate it. And then the altar will be the most holy and whatever touches it will be holy. This is what you are to offer on the altar at a regular each day, okay? You gotta remember this, each day. Right? It's 365 days in a year, two lambs a year old, right? I'm bad at math, but it's over 700 lambs, right? Offer one in the morning and the other at twilight, right? So they had a lot of sheep, right? That much we can figure out. And they're supposed to do this every single day. And there's a lot more that goes into this. This was actually their food, uh, the, the Levites. They didn't have land. They weren't allowed to own anything. And so this is how they were provided for uh, from the other tribes. All right, offer this uh, in the morning and the other at twilight. Oh, for the generations to come, this is a burnt offering to be made regularly at the entrance of the tent meeting before Yahweh. And there I will meet you and speak to you. And there also I will meet with the Israelites and the place will be consecrated by my glory. So I will consecrate the tent of meeting there, and the altar will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests, and then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. All right, and again, oops, I did it again, again. All right, so now Saul here clearly knows the law. He knows what God has said and what he has taught, and yet he decides to disobey. All right, again, background here. Saul, same thing with his army. is ready to fight the Philistines. And they want to offer a sacrifice, all right, to God. But Samuel, the high priest at the time, is nowhere to be found. All right, so Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. Okay, so Samuel says, Saul, wait, I'll be there in seven days. Armies of the Philistines are, are surrounding them. The men, the troops are freaking out. And Samuel did not come to Gilgal, but Saul's men began to scatter, all right? So as a king, your men are leaving because you can't fight until Samuel shows up and performs a sacrifice. So the king says, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offering, all right? So Saul does what is clearly commanded that kings are not allowed to perform priestly duties and offer this sacrifice. And Saul offered up the burnt offering just as he was finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. Saul replied, uh, sorry, excuse me, what have you done, Samuel asked, right? What, what did you do? And Saul replied, when I saw the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time, your fault, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought... Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have sought, and I have not set out Yahweh's favor, so I, I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command of Yahweh your God gave you. If you had, right? Listen to this. If you, Saul, had listened and obeyed, you would, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. There would be no King David. It would be Saul and his line, but now your kingdom will not endure. Yahweh has sought out another man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept Yahweh's command. All right, that's a big oops. All you had to do was listen that when a holy God says do something, just do it. And again, Saul probably felt like me, right? Trying just, I'm doing the best I can here. Are you putting me in charge? People are leaving, what do you want me to do? 
can't, can't live up to what God wanted. And then, why? Why all this holiness? What's going on? What's with all the detail in this passage in Exodus? God says it very clearly. Why are we doing this? That they will know that I am Yahweh their God. We've probably, this is probably, I probably should have done a word study on this phrase. Uh, of how many times have we heard this in the book of Exodus? It's got to be close to 50. Who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I might tabernacle among them. I am Yahweh their God. And then we get to this altar of incense. Make an altar of acacia wood for burning incense. This is to be a square, a cubit long, a cubit wide, and two cubits high. It's horns of one piece with uh, one of one piece with it. Overlay the top and the sides and the horns of pure gold and make the gold molding around it. Make two gold rings for the altar below the molding, uh, two on each of the opposite sides to hold the pieces used to carry it. So even with this, here's what's a carry it. Make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Put the altar in front of the curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant law before the atonement cover that is over the tablets of the covenant law where I will meet with you. So this is, again, artist's rendition. This would have been right in front of the, the veil or right in front of the Holy of Holies, the holy, most holy place. And what are they supposed to do with this? Aaron must burn fragrant incense on the altar every morning when he tends the lamps, okay? So when he goes in to put oil in the lamp to keep it burning, 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 he then goes in and, and lights this fragrance, right, this incense. And he must burn incense again when he lights the lamps at twilight. So incense will burn regularly before Yahweh for generations to come. And do not offer on this altar, okay, just, here's the detail here, do not offer on this altar any other incense or any burnt offering or grain offering, and do not pour a drink offering on it. Okay, so this thing's burning incense constantly, so don't, don't mix it up. Once a year, Aaron shall make atonement on its horns, this annual atonement must be made with the blood of the uh, atoning sin offering for the generations to come. It is most holy to Yahweh. And again, we have an example of, oops, I did it again, again, again. <laughs> what happens here? Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, all right, remember them. Nadab and Abihu took their censers, that way would had some coals in it, and put fire in them, and they added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before Yahweh. Okay, so they go to this, the, the tabernacle and they put, they, they're lighting the incense and for some reason, I don't know, they, they got a coal from some other place. It doesn't, it's not very clear. Uh, unauthorized fire before Yahweh, contrary to his command. We just read the command. This, this is clearly how we're supposed to do this. So what happens when you sin before a holy God? So fire came out in the presence of Yahweh and consumed them and they died before Yahweh. And Moses said to Aaron, says to the dad, this is what Yahweh spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. And Aaron remained silent. All right. That, that's all we're going to look at the passage tonight, okay? And I know that was, I, there's a lot more that, that could be read. <laughs> I said everything I wanted to say about it. There's a lot of questions, I'm sure. Um, just why this, why that? Uh, I encourage you to study it, read it, uh, get a commentary on it. Um, and because uh, I'm not the expert on it, I read uh, experts about that stuff. Um, but I do want to look at, right, kind of the, the, the so what? What does it mean? 
right? Because, because if, you're, if you're like me, uh, and, and if you're just a human, and if you're living on this side of the cross and the gospel and saying, okay, God says be holy, and I'm not, so how come he hasn't struck me dead? I want to read 1 Peter uh, 1, 13 through 16. Uh, Peter, the apostle, is writing to a Gentile church that's, that's scattered abroad uh, in Galatia and a couple of other different places. And he's writing to the church. And he says, hey, now you're believers. Right? You, you, you believe in Jesus Christ, that he has saved you before the foundations of the world. Verse 13, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. All right, so look forward to someday, Maranatha, he's going to come. How? 14, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. You were just a human being before Christ, before you heard the good news. You just lived the life you thought was the best, and you tried to to earn good points with the big guy upstairs and all whatever it was that you were living for. He's saying you, you were ignorance and the evil desires that you had. Do not conform to them. But then he jumps here, verse 15. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Okay, he said it four times here. God's holy, so you be holy. Because he said, I'm holy. So you be holy. And listen, if, if you remember a couple weeks ago, I and mean, if you weren't here, that's okay, we, we took a more in-depth look at what it means for God to be holy, to be other, to be transcendent, to be unapproachable, ineffable light, that it needs a, a veil to be in between his glory and sinful human beings, that, that the angels, the cherubim, shout out back and forth to each other, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And they've been chanting that since the day of their creation, and they're going to chant that back and forth until all of eternity. He's holy. And I quoted John Calvin about that, that men, every time they are confronted with the holiness of God, they fall on their face as dead and yet God is saying, that's who I am. That's what it means that I am holy. So therefore, you, believer, be holy. And if you're like me, I think of Miss Bernstein, and I go, I, I can't. I don't get it. Because I, I, I can't do that. I read the New Testament, and I, and I study these books, and I go, I can't, I can't do any of this stuff. What am I supposed to do? And, and I know that I've uh, mentioned this before, and I'm going to mention it uh, over and over. And if you're planning on staying here at Lower Town for a long time, you're going to hear me talk about the gospel a lot. <laughs> okay, because, uh, as to quote my boy, Martin Luther, right, I need to continually be beating the gospel into my head. Because I tend to forget it. I don't tend to forget it. I do forget it. I forget it all the time. I forget it in those moments when I get that phone call from Steve or Cor. Hey, dude, you need to come up here. You really screwed this one up, right? And it's like, ah, oh, man, I can't get it right. That's actually never happened. So don't think like they're, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty, they're good guys. Um, right? But, but just to say, man, I, I, if that's even on a human level, I, I don't get it right. How much more so is this with, with God? And so I've talked about this slippery slope. It's language that we use here at Hope. And so I'm going to talk about it again. 
Because all of us are prone to this, to, to slide down, if we think of this archway, this road that's, that's icy on both sides, right? That we tend to lean and we slip into one side, which is legalism, right? That, that God, I can actually achieve this. I can, I can do this. If, if I read my Bible and I pray every day, I will grow, 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 and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be closer to Jesus. And and God will love me more because I'm sinning less, and I can fix this. It's legalism. So when God says, be holy as I, as I am holy, we hold on tight and we say, okay, okay, I can do this. I can be holy. I can be like that. The other side of that slippery slope is, is license. To say, yeah, so God, you said be holy you got all these laws that I'm supposed to be obeying or as a follower of Christ, I can't do that. There's clearly no way you meant that law to mean what you said there. So you said like be holy as I am holy. You didn't actually mean like be as, be as holy as you are holy because that's, that's not possible. So therefore, I'm just going to do my thing. I'm going to excuse sin. I'm not going not to repent. I'm not going to fight sin. And to use Tim Keller's phrase, right, there's a third way. There's another option that those aren't the only two ways. There's, there's another way that is a gospel way that is founded on Jesus Christ. That as we look at any of these laws, or you pick one, don't, don't lie. I, I think I've used this one before, right? This guy, this girl in legalism says, yeah, I can do that. I cannot lie. I, 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 I can obey that. And I will never, I promise right now, I will never lie again, right? License says, well, God said don't lie. Clearly didn't mean don't lie, because that's impossible. <laughs> Sorry, this guy sounds like a jerk. <laughs> 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 All right, but there's a third way. All right, what is that way? And I want to go to one of my hands-down favorite passages in all of Scripture. This is Luke chapter 7, 36 through 50. Jesus is, is having dinner with a Pharisee. His name is Simon. And these Pharisees, remember, the religious leaders, right, the preachers, they would have been the ones in the, the robes of honor and glory, right? They would have had a book and a passage that I could hardly read through just now. They would have had it all memorized. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, memorized. And when one of the Pharisees invites Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. All right, again here, um, context. They don't sit in chairs. They, they actually lean on one another. Okay, they reclined, so he's leaning on somebody else. And a woman in that town who lived a sinful life, right, a, a prostitute, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came over with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him, okay, so he's reclining on the floor. She stands behind him at his feet weeping. And she began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wipes them with her hair. It should have been grounds for divorce in that culture. Women were not allowed to let their hair down in front of somebody who wasn't their husband. And he kisses his feet. Again, culturally, uh, they're walking on streets. There's animals. You get the image, right? Nasty. She kisses them and pours perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, right, legalism. This is what he's saying. If this man were a prophet, he would know who 
is touching him, what kind of woman she is, and she is a sinner, right? I, I've got this. I'm holy, right? I, I'm obeying the commands. I'm doing everything right. I'm good. And clearly Jesus doesn't understand who she is. She's a sinner. I'm not. I'm good. She's a sinner. Jesus answered him. I love that, right? Jesus, he doesn't need to be reading his mind, right? I know what it's like to be in a room with someone's really conservative and something comes up. It's like, I know exactly what that guy's thinking right now, um, right? Jesus answers him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. A lot of money, a lot of money. Neither of them had the money to pay it back. He couldn't pay it back. Neither one of them. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? All right? This guy, the legalist, the guy who's trying to live as holy as he can, owes a little bit of money, but he still owes money he cannot pay himself. This sinner, this woman, owes a lot. That's the example he's giving. Can't pay it. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt, forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Because again, we gotta put ourselves now in this woman's shoes, and we don't know the circumstances. A single woman, a widow in that culture, could not have had a job. That's why so many times in the New Testament you see uh, the commandment to care for widows and orphans. Now, without a man in that culture at that time, they had a very difficult time to raise money and financial support. So she was maybe, right, reading between the lines here, pushing to a corner, starting to provide for my family, and I can't. God, I know how you've taught us how to live. I can't live that way. But I have to do this in order to provide for my family. License. And then what happens? Then he turned toward the woman, right? So he looks up at the woman and says to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet to wash my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, which was culturally you would greet an honored guest with a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, which is another thing you would do. Uh, you would anoint an honored guest with oil, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins are many. Not excusing it. She's got a lot of sin. But guess what? They've been forgiven. As her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, and here's the gospel way. Your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. A go in peace. There's another option that says, okay, it's not legalism, it's not license, right? There's this, there's this third way that's the gospel way that says, okay, God says don't do this. God says do this, act this way, and I don't, and I can't. But the gospel way is Jesus did. He did. And now, because his spirit indwells me, he has set me free from the chains of bondage of both legalism and license and the law that overshadows everything and says, you can live this way. And so now, I fight sin. Right now, when I think of Miss Bernstein, right, it's not how Yahweh acts. 
that he's not impossible to please. I was reminded even just, just now okay, of, of uh, Matt Chandler. He's a pastor in Texas, and he gave this illustration one time. And I don't remember the context of why he shared it, but I, I, it fits here, so I'm going to say it. It's, it's kind of like uh, a child drawing a picture for their parent or making a, a Valentine's Day card for their parent, right? And this child prevents their parent with this card, right? And, and if you have kids, you know, mine's 17 months, he... You know, when, you know we, my wife and I will make cards for each other. You know, and one time I wrote with my right hand to make it all scribbly, to make it, like, cute. Like, he wrote this, but he didn't actually write it. It was whatever, right? And, and gave that to her, right? My, if he gives me a card someday, the analogy here isn't, son, what is this garbage? Right, like, your, your color palette is all wrong. You got way outside of the line over here. Not good, right? That's how Miss Bernstein acts. That's not how a loving father treats his child. Because now that we're in, involved and embraced in the love of Christ and the gospel penetrates everything that I do, that even my most feeble efforts to say, God, Abba, Father, Daddy, this is what I want to give to you, as childish as it may be, he loves it. Because this child is choosing to love God. He's not living under fear of bondage of, if I don't do this to dad, if I don't please my daddy, then he's going to kick me out of the family. It's not how this works. It's not how the gospel works. I'm saved by grace, and now because I am freed from the bondage of sin, I now have the freedom and the privilege and the honor and opportunity to want to serve my father. And so I've got one conclusion. This is it. Are you repenting of sin? Are you now, or we spent the last two weeks talking about how we are now capable and able to enter into the holy of holies, into the holy place because of what Christ has done for us. Are you repenting of sin, of all of it, right? If you're over here tonight and you're saying, man, I'm a, I'm a legalist, right? Man, I've never, I've never thought about it that way. Maybe I am trying too hard and, and to do this by myself, and I'm not in a community, and I, and I don't rely on the Holy Spirit to help me win victory over sin. I'm repenting of that. And likewise, if, I, if I'm living in, in license, and I'm just saying, man, I've been trying to fight this sin for so long, and I just can't win victory, so I'm just done. I'm just done, man. I'm not doing, I'm just, who cares? Repent. Repent, because there's another way that says, yes, Jesus did it, and he indwells in you, and he has freed you from that sin. Are you repenting of sin? So like every week at Lower Town, we're going to have a chance to have communion and again, because we're all priests, priesthood of the believer, I don't need to bless it. It's been pre-blessed by Christ. So we're going to have the juice, which represents the blood of Christ, and the, and the bread, which represents the, the body that was crushed for our sins and our iniquities, that Jesus took on himself. And so that when Yahweh, God the Father, looks at us, he sees Jesus standing right next to us as our brother, as our older brother saying, no, no, they're, they're with me. We're good. So if you are a follower of Jesus, I'd encourage you to come forward, have communion with us as we lift up our voices and our thoughts, our minds, to meditate on the words and the lyrics that we're about to sing and to, and to, to shout out the glory to God that's due his name. Uh, Gluten-free option is on the left here if you need that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you. I thank you for your son. I thank you that in our time, now here in this place 
that we can boldly approach a holy God, that we can enter into your presence with singing and glad hearts, not fearful hearts, of a God who sees our sin and is going to kill us on the spot, but a God who sees our sins and says, I have given you a way to repent, to be forgiven. Embrace my son. God, I thank you that we get to do that. I thank you that with our voices, as feeble as an attempt as that may be, and some of us may be tone deaf and just can't sing, that we can lift up our, our voices to you, and as a loving father, you love it because we are choosing to serve you and to worship you, not out of obligation, not out of duty. God, I thank you that you have made a way. You've made a third way. And I don't have to earn my salvation. You already earned it for me. God, I thank you for that. Will you now be pleased with our singing and as our, our eating this meal together to remember what Jesus has done for our sins and the victory that he's won in our lives? And it's in his most precious name that we pray. Amen.